everyone. Welcome to the 10th episode of the Career Solution Podcast. This is Akshaya, and today we're with Dr. Sherry Prentice. Dr. Prentice, could you please introduce yourself and your current job regarding how you became interested? Yes, I'm Dr. Sheree Prentice. I'm a board-certified occupational and environmental medicine physician, and I've always wanted to be a doctor ever since I was two years old. Actually, was watching a television show with my parents, and it happened to be a, it's a program called Marcus Welby. It was about a physician that saved people's lives and solved all of these mysteries and came up with the right diagnosis. And apparently I was intrigued by it and made the announcement to my parents that I was going to be a doctor because I wanted to help people and make a lot of money. Nice. So how did you approach this career starting in high school? What were some steps you needed to take in order to reach where you are today? Well, starting in high school, I mean, when I made that announcement to my parents, my parents told me that as a black female in a white male-dominated uh, profession, I had to be twice as good to expect half as much. So I worked my tail off in grammar school and in high school, um, making sure I got straight A's, making sure I was in advanced placement courses, that I took a lot of extracurricular activities so that I would uh, mm-hmm. appear and be well-rounded so that I would be attractive uh, to the colleges and medical schools that would be looking at me later on in life. Mm, definitely, and that sounds like a rigorous um, course, and you, obviously you took rigorous courses and all that, so um, in college, you know, as a person of color, um, you face racism, especially as you were approaching a white male-dominated field, so how did you combat racism and sexism, and did that in any way change your perspective, and after coming to college, like, did you still face racism, or what's your experience with the um, Black Lives Matter movement right now? Well, let me say, first, in high school, I didn't really experience racism at school. Mm-hmm. Um, our school was predominantly Black slash Asian slash maybe a handful of, of Caucasians. So I didn't really experience it in school. Uh, and even though my teachers were diverse, never experienced it there. Where I did experience it in high school was in some of my extracurricular activities because those activities I found myself quite often being the only black uh, member of an, an all-white team. Um, and so when it came to questions about race or diversity or anything that felt like out of the, the white realm, everyone would always turn to me. So it felt kind of weird to be the person that was representing the black race in some of these extracurricular activities, but I did it. Um, when I got to college was when I faced it from professors and really the only way to mitigate it in college, I went to a, a large Big Ten uh, university uh, here in the Chicagoland area and there was no protest or a way for me to go to my advisor and and have any impact on these tenured professors. So what I did, I learned how to work around the system. I went to TAs to get the help that I needed. Uh, If if a professor um, was very blatant, answered the question for the white student standing in front of me, and then when I approached him, pushed me off. There were times when I would make the statement and call him out well, it seems like the student prior to me got all of the time and attention, but now when it comes to me, I'm not getting what I need, so I can only assume that that has something to do with the color of my skin. That would usually jolt them and give me um, what I what I needed and required, um, but it did change my perspective because it, it was a 
an acute awareness that this was something that I was going to have to live with and manage for the rest of my life and throughout my career. So it toughened me up. Um, And I still face uh, discrimination now when individuals hear just my last name. uh, There are times when I may walk in a room or take to the stage and they are surprised that it is a female and not a male, but that it's a black female and not a white uh, female. So uh, I still face it. I still, there are still times when I feel like I am representing uh, the black race because I may be the only black person in the room. Um, But I think I'm doing it well with the 20 initials behind my name and wearing a smile and letting individuals know that regardless of the color of your skin, I'm going to do what's right uh, because I've mastered emotional intelligence and racism is not an issue for me because at the end of the day, we're all God's children. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, as we are all research oncologists, especially for me, um, I was always looking into, like, the diversity factor because I was really thinking about um, discrimination with your peers, not especially with professors because, I mean, I, I wasn't really sure if that was a thing because um, where I grew up in the Bay Area, um, most teachers are pretty um, liberal and they're uh, very accepting of who you are um, and racism and sexism. And most things um, usually are not explicit bias. It might be implicit. I mean, um, most people have implicit biases, but um, it's never really explicitly expressed. So um, that was a major factor I was kind of even afraid of, um, whether like I would feel comfortable how I would combat it. So um, hearing from you on like how you worked around the system, I feel like it really gave me a kind of a, um, a, a sense of like, okay, I can, I can also do this, you know, that kind of perspective. Good. And so, kind of moving on to um, just your specific job, what's your favorite part and more challenging aspect as a healthcare uh, consultant and a public speaker? Well, I would say my favorite parts of both of those jobs is the freedom that it allows me. I can do uh, healthcare consulting and be a public speaker and live anywhere in the world. Uh, And I can certainly do both of those things on my own time. So at this stage in my life, it's great having that flexibility. Um, But I would say probably the more challenging aspect is it's it's 1099 income meaning i'm i'm an independent contractor so if i don't work i don't eat i don't get paid and in order for me to work it now requires me to go out be more conscious about my branding networking soliciting the jobs as opposed to a w2 income when you are an employee you show up to work every day you do your job you do a great job and every two weeks you get paid uh so that is 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 a more challenging aspect in the sense that sometimes you got to press yourself to push to try to get those uh speaking engagements or those consulting gigs maybe when you're not feeling like it uh and sometimes you may put in the hours and don't get it and now you need to budget yourself accordingly um when money is not coming in Mm -hmm. but i for me at this stage in my life it's a great balance yeah definitely like motivation is a huge factor when you're an independent contractor um so Mm -hmm. In most jobs, there are promotions or demotions, but in your career, what does success look like? And is, it, is there a way to measure it and can it be measured? You know, I guess if you were to talk to different physicians, they may have different responses. You know, my career took me from being a practicing uh, physician where I was doing clinical work, overseeing 22 different facilities uh, for the largest healthcare system in Illinois to now not practicing clinical medicine anymore, 
from being a healthcare consultant and being a professional public speaker. Um, and so it, success for me in my life now and in retrospect and looking back um, at my age now, success is really measured by whether or not when you wake up in the morning, you are excited to go to work because you know you're going to make an impact, a change, a difference, whatever that is. And then when you come home, you go to bed with a smile on your face, knowing that you did your best and you had an impact. So success for me is not measured by how much money is in the bank, what house I have, what cars I've driven, or even how many lives I have saved. It is measured by the joy that I have each day in doing what I do and knowing that I am impacting individuals around me at all times, not just in the one-on-one with the client or with the patient uh, or with an audience, but in the individuals that I'm on the phone discussing a potential uh, consulting gig. In every aspect, when I have contact with an individual and I am sharing my words, if I have touched that person in some kind of way, that is success, regardless of whether or not I got paid for it or not so it's measured with how well you're how content are you um what is your heart attitude Uh, are you happy are are you content have you made a difference that measures success for me Thank you for that great response. Um, you made an excellent point about being content and how success um, itself is not really measured um, in one way for everyone. And being content can mean different things for different individuals. Um, so it really depends on um, what you expect and what you do in your life um, and how you take care of yourself. So many high schoolers presume that after high school, college um, college is easier, especially when you go into Ivy Leagues for some reason. And could you elaborate on this based on your experience in undergrad med school? Okay, well, I would say for me, it got harder. (laughs) Uh, I graduated valedictorian from grammar school, salutatorian from high school with honors from Northwestern University and with honors from Loyola Street School of Medicine. And with each level, and matter of fact, with the 5.0 perfect GPA with my master's in public health from the University of Illinois. And each time it it was harder because the the older you are, one, there is expectations that change. So your behavior that you could exemplify in high school, it's not going to be accepted in college and it certainly won't be accepted in med school because you have matured or that is that expectation that you've matured. Uh, And when you get to college and med school, I mean, those are the areas where it's really getting serious, where it's time for you to really do some soul searching and decide, well, how do I want to spend my life? And sometimes that can be difficult for me. It was at two, so it was easy for me. But most people don't necessarily know what they want to do with the rest of their life when they finish high school. And now when you go to college, you almost have, you have to declare, you know, what you want to do when you first go. Right. And sometimes it, you need that time while you're in college to kind of figure things out. So I couldn't imagine going to college now and being forced if I didn't have <laughs> this type of passion to go into medicine. I, could, I couldn't imagine. I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. Um, but the, the challenges are harder simply because in high school you know you're you're given an assignment you're graded on that assignment you know when the assignments are coming and you can easily build up in college you may have a course where it's just a research paper 
that is it. You can show up to class and gather the information that'll help you write this paper or not. Maybe you can just write it all on your own and never come to class. So accountability is no longer there. It's either you're going to do it or not. And if you're not a self-starter or if you have not mastered uh, study skills that are helpful for you, uh, you can struggle because you may feel like I got all of this time. And if you are a procrastinator, college and med school is not going to uh, tolerate procrastination. Mm -hmm. It just does not. So you really do have to like pick yourself up by bootstraps and gather and collect and create a study schedule that is conducive for you to succeed in college and med school and beyond because it does not get easier. It gets more challenging, not just because of the coursework, but because life is happening. As you age, you have boyfriends, girlfriends, babies, marriage, people getting born, people dying. All of this is still happening while you're trying to pursue and figure out what you want to do with life. So it gets, it gets harder, but as long as you understand that and prepare for it, you can easily overcome it. So um, you mentioned that you are valedictorian and you're pretty much always on top of your class. So what are some extracurriculars and classes you partook in high school? Ooh, I did things like uh, <laughs> Latin <laughs> because I thought, you know, everyone kept saying, oh, take Latin. It's going to help you with medical Yes, I was talking about too. And, like, everyone, like, I mean, I, I, no one told me, but like, um, seriously, I was seriously considering, oh, maybe I should like learn Latin. Like, let's take a Coursera course on Latin for some reason. I was like, I mean, like, I did not understand that it was going to be hard. I mean, I didn't learn it, but still, I was like, I don't know, like, where it comes from. Like, I mean, yes, a lot of the uh, the terms are Latin-based, but still. It wasn't necessary. I wish I had taken Spanish <laughs> because it really did not help me uh, for med school. But, you know, I took, like I stated, when I went into high school, the high school that I went to, um, you had to had to take a placement test in order yeah. to even get accepted into the school. And then once you were there, you took, based upon your placement test, they determined whether or not you were in regular classes, honors classes, or AP classes. So I started off my freshman year in honors classes and quickly went to AP in honors. I never took regular courses. And so, you know, I would take the things that I knew that I was going to college. So even though, you know, only three years of math were required, I took four because I wanted to take that extra pre-calculus so that I was ready for uh, college. You know, we only had to take three years of science, but I took four. I took AP Biology so that I could be ready for college. And so I I took the extra courses so that I was ready um, for that college coursework um, and also able to take placement tests once I got to college and placed out of some of my required courses in my freshman year. Uh, And then when it came to extracurricular activities, you know, I did everything that had anything to do with medicine. I volunteered in hospitals. I uh, volunteered um, working with the elderly. Um, I did community volunteer work. I was very much involved in the church. So I was uh, director of the youth choir. I was a Sunday school teacher. I mean, so I had my hands not only in the community, but also in school Mm -hmm. uh, and then in the field that I was interested in going into. Uh, So my my history was quite full right and especially yeah. today like colleges always expect you to take rigorous courses i mean that is in the long term going to prepare you for the college courses um and they also expect you to take extracurriculars just to show kind of your interest where where uh what kind of what kind of 
fields you want to, um, you're interested in and you want to pursue. And, um, I mean, it seems like most people are just doing it for colleges, but at the same time, I feel like many, many, many people are also learning a lot about themselves, like whether I'm suitable for, you know, rigorous courses, but I'm, whether I'm suitable for, like, math club or, or, like, that kind of things. Um, so, um, to move on, to moving on to just you, so you're also a breast cancer survivor, and when you were diagnosed, you were, you actually have a book called, um, uh, when everything changed, my journey from a physician, from physician. So, um, could you talk uh, about the journey uh, without giving the book away? Sure. Um, yeah, it's weird because as a physician, I had given the, the diagnosis of breast cancer on many occasions, so I never thought that I would actually ever receive the diagnosis myself. And it was actually my treatment for breast cancer. I was diagnosed in October of 2008, and I underwent a partial mastectomy where they removed half my right breast. Uh, they removed 16 lymph nodes from under my right armpit. Three of them were positive for cancer. I had 15 rounds of chemotherapy and 33 treatments of radiation. And it was the treatment that caused a condition called secondary lymphedema. It's just major swelling in my right arm, hand, and fingers that make it impossible for me to perform the clinical functions of my job. So after 16 years of practicing, all of a sudden, I couldn't practice. I wanted to be a doctor since I was two years old. I couldn't imagine being anything else. And then now it's stripped. It was gone in a split second. My life flipped upside down and I had to completely reinvent myself because I had two children who wanted to go to college and my life wasn't over. I was still 42 at the time. And so I knew that there was more life for me to live, but I didn't know what I was going to do to put food um, in my children's mouths and to fulfill me, my purpose for life. Hence why I said success is measured by whether or not you have joy with what you're doing in the morning and you go to bed at night knowing that you've made a difference. And so I had to rethink what could I possibly do with the rest of my life that will have an impact on other individuals' lives and would also bring me joy because I know that I'm giving all of me like I did when I was practicing clinical medicine. And that's when it came to me, I was going to share my story my reinvention story, my breast cancer story, my being a woman in leadership, my being a physician in leadership, my being a black woman, an entrepreneur, all of that. I would share my story with whomever needed those words of wisdom where it can have an impact on their life. And that's what prompted me to take the proper course to become a certified speaking professional. So I am a professional speaker, uh, becoming a certified virtual speaker, um, and then developing and creating my own healthcare consulting business. So when my life flipped upside down and I was sharing my story, going across this country and even abroad speaking, different individuals would just say, you know what, you only gave us 45 minutes of your life. I want to know all the nitty-gritty. I want to know the ins and outs because I was able to take away and glean some knowledge, but I know that there's so many steps that I've missed. Girl, you should write a book. Oh my goodness, you should write a book. And so when you hear that from hundreds of people over the course of probably about seven, eight months, I decided it settled in me. Yeah, I will share my story. Um, And that's when I decided to write when everything changed my journey from physician to patient. Um, And it's made a difference. It it has impacted me. I never knew how vulnerable uh, I would feel in sharing my own personal life story. Uh, 
the good and the bad and all the ugly. Um, but the individuals that have written, it's a perfect five-star review on Amazon. And the individuals, I have had people just to voluntarily reach out to me, find me on Facebook, find me on Instagram, or find me via email and tell me how much their lives were changed because of that book. People didn't commit suicide because they read something in the book. Individuals that were going through trauma, not breast cancer, but just a trauma in general, were able to see themselves in my story and was able to read the the helpful tips that I gave in the story and found a way out. That's amazing and inspiring. Um, Furthermore, you created the Live Today Foundation to support breast cancer survivors and people who continue to battle with breast cancer. So can you talk about what your organization does and has it changed since COVID-19? Yeah, I created the Live Today Foundation because in my travels, I discovered that there were many women and some men, but mostly women who were living with secondary lymphedema as a result of their cancer treatment. Many didn't know what the diagnosis was. They just thought that it was just some swelling. They didn't realize that it was actually a disease that needed to be treated, a disease that does not have a cure, a disease that uh, the treatments are not covered usually by uh, your health insurance. So now you have to pay out of pocket. And when I realized that there were still physicians out there that didn't know how to properly diagnose lymphedema, they weren't aware of the psychosocial impacts of lymphedema, buying new clothes, the, the financial impact on paying for your own treatment, losing a job or career like I did. And so I said, you know what? I don't know of any other organization out there with three primary goals. One, to educate physicians about lymphedema and about the psychosocial impacts of the disease so that they can help patients get the resources that they need. Two, to educate patients about what it is they have and about ways and things that they could do and steps that they could take to actually prevent chronic lifelong lymphedema. And then number three, to provide free compression garments, which is the mainstay of treatment for lymphedema for individuals, cancer survivors, and patients who are living with it because they're usually not covered by insurance. And your compression garments can cost you anywhere from $300 to $2,500 if you need a custom set of garments. So we, um, we established, I established the Live Today Foundation. I have a wonderful board. It really has not changed for us uh, because of COVID, simply because we are still able to educate physicians and patients via the website, via webinars. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a Live Today TV show uh, that would usually air the second Wednesday of every month. Uh, but now since COVID and we weren't able to go into the studio, I still do the shows on my own and so they're out there so individuals are still getting their education and people across the world are still reaching out to us for the free compression garment so thankfully it it didn't halt us from pursuing and continuing our mission and our goals that's amazing and i think we're gonna be ending on a high note so before we conclude our episode dr sherry you have your own podcast could you please um briefly introduce it and where you can where um the listeners can find it Yes, Uh, my podcast actually started it uh, while we were in the pandemic. It had Mm -hmm. been on my heart for a while. And finally, with the pandemic, when in-person speaking engagements kind of fell off, I thought, well, you know, that that one of those down things, down uh, (laughs) problems that you have when you are an independent contractor, sometimes things go away. Mm -hmm. So I thought, how can I make my time useful? 
and beneficial. So I decided to create my own podcast, which is um, Where Medicine Meets Ministry. Dr. Cherie Talks Faith and Facts. And it really is a podcast where I bring in um, guests, or sometimes it's just me. So it's a mixture where we really are talking about how individuals may face a trauma or face a life-altering event. Or maybe it wasn't even life-altering, but it was an event that triggered a passion, that triggered uh, um, where your misery became part of your mission, but where there was a, a, a light switch that went on that said, this happened to me, and although it was sad, it was hurtful, it was scary, I don't want anybody else to have to live through something like this. So let me create a program. Let me create an app. Let me create a website. Let me go out on the road and start talking to people. Let me write a book. And so I find guests uh, that have that story to share with individuals, to let them know that one, you're not alone. Two, things happen for a reason. It's just up to us to figure out that reason and give it the spin that God always initially intended for us to do. And then to live our lives out on purpose. Not allow life to just simply happen to you, but to live life on purpose and with purpose and in purpose. And they, they can find the, the podcast anywhere where you get your podcast, Apple, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, uh, all of the platforms uh, you can find um, where Medicine Meets Ministry, Dr. Sheree Talks Faith and Facts. Thank you, Dr. Sherry, for ending with that wonderful message. We loved having you at our Core Solution podcast. And for our audience who want to contact you, could you please provide your contact information? You know what? Thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this podcast. I really hope that my words will bless high schoolers that are coming out and help them get on the right path. If anyone wants to reach out to me or find out more information about me, they can go out to my website at www.drsheriemd.com. That's D-R-S-H-E-R-I-M-D.com. If you want to find out more about the Live Today Foundation, you can go to www.live-today.org. And you can always shoot me an email at drsheree at drshereemd.com. You know what? Thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this podcast. I really hope that my words will bless high schoolers that are coming out and help them get on the right path. If anyone wants to reach out to me or find out more information about me, they can go out to my website at www.drsheremd.com. That's D-R-S-H-E-R-I-M-D.com. If you want to find out more about the Live Today Foundation, you can go to www.live-today.org. Uh, and you can always shoot me an email at drsheree at drshereemd.com. Yes, thank you for that information. And for my audience listening, for more episodes, please check out the ones below.